This is Truth Encounter, and we want to examine together Deuteronomy chapter 14, a chapter filled with intricate descriptions about what an Israelite was to eat and not to eat. Our study leader, Dave Wordson, begins our study by talking about a country who has turned food into an art form. Let's join Dave for a lesson he has titled, Bon Appetit. When Mary and I were visiting with the missionaries in France, I noticed about the French culture something that I really like, and that is that they make an art form out of eating. Now, as Americans, you know, we've gotten you this thing, you know, you run up to McDonald's and don't even go in and sit down. You go through the drive-thru and you want it to happen just like that. You want the hamburger to be there. And we pride ourselves that it takes less than 45 and a half seconds to be able to make an order and get a hamburger, not the French. In fact, the French are a little bit like the people where Dave Lowry's from in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. A friend of mine tried to put a fast food restaurant into the Lancaster area. In fact, Mary and I went to this restaurant early in its initiation, and Lancaster people would walk in, and instead of going to the counter like you're supposed to do at a McDonald's or a Brahms, they would go in and sit down, and then they would just sit there. And they would wait for something to happen. And what was supposed to happen is someone was supposed to come and ask you for their order and your order and then to serve you the food. And uh, my friend's idea really busted. They had to change over the whole philosophy of the restaurant because the Lancaster Dutch people are still into that more of a European field, evidently, of you're supposed to sit down and enjoy a meal. In fact, in France, if you go for Sunday lunch, it may as well be Sunday dinner too, Sunday supper as well, because it goes one course after another. I think it begins with kind of a vegetable salad. Now, Mary really got into that vegetable salad. If I'm honest, that's really not my thing. But, but in France, they do have tremendous vegetables. I've never had carrots that were as good. But man, when you get through eight or nine courses and you end with the cheese, now I can handle that. Man, they have got the most fantastic cheese imaginable. In fact, one of the biggest outreaches for missionary work in the land of France has become eating. If you want to really touch base with people, if you really want to be able to spend time with people, you have to eat. You invite them to come to your home and you go through one of these 20-course meals. And before you start out, they even have a neat slogan to kind of motivate you as you start. After you say the blessing, they say, bon appetit, which means have a great appetite, and you're supposed to just enjoy everything. Now, you say, Dave, what in the world are you doing talking to us about food? Because God is really concerned about the food that you eat. In fact, if you analyze religions around the world you're going to find out that religion always gets around to food. And interesting enough, contrary to what the French are emphasizing with Bon Appetit, usually when it comes to this business of getting close to God and being religious, usually what we're talking about is not eating. And we're usually talking about there's some food that you can eat because it's clean, and there's other food that you can't eat because it's unclean. And then we develop a whole big ritual and paraphernalia around that. And the Old Testament is no exception to that. There's two entire chapters dedicated to clean and unclean food. 
And today we want to ask the question, why in the world in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14 do we have all this emphasis upon certain foods you can eat and certain foods that you cannot eat? Now, I was raised with several Roman Catholic kids back in New Jersey, and the big thing back in New Jersey was on Friday, we always had to have fish in the school cafeteria. Because if we didn't have fish, it meant that the cafeteria would go bust for the day because all my Roman Catholic football player friends, even though they would eat half the meat in the whole state of New Jersey, would not eat it on Friday. Now, that changed about halfway through my career in school, but that's the way it was for many years. And that'll give you a little feel of this business of to eat or not to eat. That's the question. We want to begin to look at it. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 14, a passage I'm sure you've had your quiet time because you love to read about all these cloven-hooded, uh, cloven-hooved and chewing the cud and not chewing the cud. And one of these chapters where you have your quiet time and you go, man, what in the world are they talking about? Well, remember that we learned the last time we were together that the thrust of this chapter is that you are the children of God. We talked about the Old Testament children of God, and we talked about how in Christ you have become the New Testament children of God. And the underlying principle that underscores this entire chapter is your special relationship as a child of God, as a prince and princess of heaven. And we learned the last time we were together that one of the reasons we shouldn't mark our bodies, we shouldn't cut our body in in vicious funeral rites and in these terrible mourning rites is that you're a a holy person. You're a set-apart person. You're a child of the king. And therefore, God's Old Testament people were not supposed to get involved in all of these tortuous, uh, ritualistic mourning rites that would hurt someone's body. And the reason for that was, you are a child of God. Now it goes on in verse 3 to talk about some other things that we shouldn't do. Look what it says. Do not eat any detestable thing. Now you'll get the feel of this word detestable if you, if you understand the meaning of yuck. Which you all do. Your kids do it and moms work for years to get kids not to come to the table and go yuck. I don't like that. The word detestable means something that turns someone off, specifically God, something that God doesn't want his children to do. In the Old Testament, God wanted to really get across the yuck principle to his people. And we're going to talk about some reasons why this principle was so important. In fact, this principle was so important that it's still working among the Jewish people today. This principle of refraining from what to them is detestable or abominable or disgusting. And that's what the emphasis of this chapter begins with, don't eat what is detestable. Now, these are the animals that you can eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, and all the deer hunters said, the gazelle, the roe deer, and all the deer hunters said, amen again. The wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And so there's a lot of hunting that could be done in ancient Israel. Just be sure that if you go on a weekend, that you have some quiet time with the Lord and set some time apart for him and then enjoy yourself. But evidently a lot of the the game deer and that kind of thing, the ibex and the wild goat, were all 
clean animals that could be eaten. You may not eat any animal that, is, that has a split hoof divided in two and that chews the cut. However, of those that you may eat those animals. However, those that chew the cut or that have a split hoof completely divided, you may not eat the camel, the rabbit, or the coney. Although they chew the cud, they do not have a split hoof. They are ceremonially unclean for you. The pig is also unclean. Although it has a split hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or to touch their carcasses. Now, that introduces us to one of the heartbeats of Judaism. Down through the centuries, that little verse, you must not eat the pig. The pig is also unclean to you, has been words that Jewish people have lived and died for. In fact, in about 167 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the Syrian ruler, decided he was going to change all of that, and he forced the Jewish people throughout his Syrian empire, which went from the land of present-day Israel up into modern-day Syria, the Damascus area, and then stretching out even as far as Babylon, as Antiochus controlled an empire throughout that population of Jews, he made them and forced them to eat pig. He created a revolution. He created what's called the Maccabean Revolt. And three years after he tried to get the Jews to eat pig, they forced him to eat crow because they destroyed him. Not really, but they defeated him. And they're able to gain independence in the land of Israel. One of the few times that Israel, after their captivity in Babylon, were able to gain a semblance of independence. And what it illustrates, and one of the things you need to do as you read God's word is to be able to enter into not just to your own feelings, but enter into the feelings of other people. Now, as we introduce this idea of clean and unclean food, and we learn about deer that's clean, and oxen that's clean, and cows that are clean, so all the Texans are really in really good, but the pigs are not. Now, that's a little bit tough on us, because as Texans, you even notice when they go to the cowboy game, they like to have a big roast pork thing. We have to, we have to ask the question... Why did God give these principles to his people? I want to suggest three reasons why in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God said, you can eat this, you can't eat this. And then we're going to bring it into the New Testament and talk about some of the progress, some of the, some of the movements in God's revelation that can help us to know how we should live today. But there's some abiding principles that can flow out of this idea of clean and unclean food. There's also some things that we need to understand that the Lord has given us a greater freedom under his new covenant. The very first reason I want to suggest to you that God said that they could eat certain things and they couldn't eat other things was a health protection. As you read through here, if you read a little bit further on, it says in verse 11 when it talks about the birds, you may eat any clean bird. By the way, dove hunters, there you go. It was clean, okay? But these you may not eat. The eagle, which was probably a griffon vulture, not an eagle. The Hebrew word here is, is stretchable. It's not totally equivalent to our English word eagle. And in the land of Israel, there's a large griffon vulture that that's everybody sees with every day that feeds on carrion. Vol- Eagles don't feed on carrion, only real fresh meat. The vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, the black kite, any kind of falcon, any kind of raven, the horned owl, etc. Now, as you read through this list, you'll notice that it's, there's a major stress on not eating carrion eaters. Now, you don't have to be a medical doctor or a nurse to understand why there might be some wisdom in not eating carrion eaters. When we read a little bit further, and it talks about the fish. 
Or uh, back a little bit in verse 9. In verse 9 it says, All of the creatures living in the water you may eat that has fins and scales, which basically comes to be the free-swimming fish. But anything that does not have fins and scales you may not eat, for to you it's unclean. And there we have a lot of the, the bottom uh, eaters, and we have uh, different, even like oysters that we have in the, in the Gulf of Mexico, even in our own culture, we've had some problems with some of those kinds of fish. We read through chapter 14 of Deuteronomy, one of the things that begins to hit us is that there's some hygienic reasons behind the law that God gave. Now, we're going to find when we move into the New Testament that I think we need to be very careful that we don't make it just an airtight thing. Like I had a close friend that wouldn't have sausage on his pizza with me because he didn't want to eat any pig. But there is a feel in this chapter when you focus on the not eating carrion, the fish that were clean, those that were unclean, and the pig as well. Every grammar school kid has learned about trichinosis and the danger of not carefully cooking the pork that we eat. And so one of the basic things that God is stressing to his Old Testament people is that he cares about their health. He wants them to be free from these diseases. In fact, the college that I went to had a doctor that wrote a book called None of These Diseases. And he traced through all the food laws in the Old Testament and built his case on the fact that it was for hygienic reasons. Now, I think we need to be careful in light of some other things we're going to talk about a little bit later on where the Lord declares all food clean. Because God couldn't declare all food clean if food in itself was intrinsically unclean. And one of the principles that I want you to think about as we develop this is that evil is not located in things. The evil is not in a drink. It's not in the food. Evil is something that comes from within our hearts and from the evil one, Satan. Religion constantly is saying, no, the evil is in the thing. And then you try to control the evil by having very strict rules about the thing. And one of the things that I want you to understand is that will not work. And some of you right in this audience have tremendously powerful habits because you're trying to control evil with rules and regulations to keep you away from the thing and it keeps driving you nuts because in secret you're controlled by the thing. But the overarching principle here is that the Lord wants you to realize you're his child and he loves you. I want to say that again. God, rather than taking things away from you, rather than destroying the fun in your life, is trying to give you a bon appetit, a good appetite. He wants you to enjoy. God would say to you when you sit down to a meal, bon appetit, enjoy. And he says, I want you to eat things that will be healthy for you, that will be good for you. And he gave his Old Testament people, under primitive conditions, some very carefully laid out laws that did protect them from many diseases. So that wasn't the overall principle, but in chapter 14 there is some feel of hygienic reasons. And I think an abiding principle is that we as believers need to be careful the way that we cook our food, the way that we prepare it. We need to be very careful not to do things that hurt our temple. And because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And your daddy in heaven says your body's good. It's a special thing that I've given to you. And I want you to treat it like my dwelling place. 
and your daddy in heaven says, I want you to eat well, I want you to eat healthy. Second of all, a lot of the animals that are labeled as unclean in this chapter, for example, like mice that you wouldn't have any trouble with. Most of you have not been tempted to eat many mice this past week. You let your cats handle that. But mice and also pig. In fact, there's a real strange little expression here in verse 21. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Now that is a strange one. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Until you read a little bit about the background of the ancient Near East and you read in the Eucharitic literature that we have a little incantation, a little formula from a place called Ugarit, which was one of the capitals of the Canaanite people, that talks about a ritual where you take a goat and you boil it in its mother's milk and then you take that milk and you scatter it out on your fields because the idea is that when you combine the evidence of the potency of your flock as evidenced by a young goat and you combine that with the milk which is the life-giving fluid to the little baby when you combine those two powerful principles of, of fertility and you scatter it on your fields you can make your wheat grow higher and that's what the Canaanites would do And so there's some feel here that somehow boiling a kid in its mother's milk was related to idolatry. It was related to superstition and to magic. And one of the major theses that we've had in the book of Deuteronomy is that as God's people, we are to stay miles and miles away from the occult and from idolatry. There's also a feel in this that something's very much astray in not recognizing the order and the goodness of God's creation. Milk is what's to give a little kid new life. I'm talking about a goat new life, okay? And all of you that have tried to raise animals where their mother, you know, couldn't feed them, have gone gone through very elaborate things to be able to cause those little animals to live, and you know that milk is life-giving. For example, when we were raising college, I would have Elaine McWhorter come out of our house and teach us, if they couldn't drink, how to be able to tube feed them so that we could get some of that life-giving fluid into their stomachs. And it's amazing how powerful that life-giving fluid was in giving new life. Milk is to give new life. To boil a kid in its own mother's milk is just aesthetically not pleasing. Because you're using to produce death what should produce life. As you read the Bible, you learn that God is very sensitive to aesthetic things, to artistic things, to the way that he would like things to be. And so it's possible there's some of that feel as well. So the pig, for example, we could use another illustration. The pig was often used in Canaanite sacrifices. And that was a custom that continued, you know, right up into the time of our Lord in the areas of Canaanite domination. And one of the major reasons that the Lord told them, do not eat pig, was in their time and in their day, often the pig was used in pagan revelry, in pagan idolatrous worship. And so the Lord wanted his people to have a clean break from idolatry, so he said no. So we have hygienic reasons. We have a very strong break against any involvement in idolatry. The third thing is it's just the way the Lord wants it. Part of culture is that some things can be eaten and some things cannot. You say, Dave, what are you talking about that? What are you talking about? 
Well, when we went out to eat with the Boguses in a city right near Paris, they, there were some marvelous steaks that were right up there. They looked delicious. They were not that expensive. They were hoarse. And the French swore to me that it's really delicious. But I didn't eat any. Why not? You all, and why are all of you laughing? Objectively, you say, because it's unclean. That's right. <laughs> No. Why do we laugh? Because as Americans, it's not aesthetically part of our culture, for the most part, if we know it, to eat horse meat. But in the French culture, it's absolutely acceptable. And that's the way people are. In fact, you know what? That, those are the distinctives of people. It's what keeps people apart. It's what keeps people different. And part of God's good creation is that he likes things to be different at times. In the Old Testament, it was very, very important for his Israelite people to be different. One of the major stresses of the book of Deuteronomy is the Jewish people, God's children, are to be different. They are to be separate. They are to stay away from idolatry, they're to be distinctive. They were to be distinctive in the way that they dressed. They were to be distinctive in the way that they ate. They were to be distinctive in the way that they lived. You know why? Because God wanted to keep his Old Testament people away from infiltrating with the unbelievers. Because if they infiltrated with the unbelievers, they would disappear as a culture. And if they disappeared as a culture, there would be no King David... There would be no line of David. Eventually, there would be no messianic promise. There would be no Virgin Mary that could be a Jewish girl that 1,400 years after this chapter was written, there could be a girl who was Jewish, who was a distinctive person, part of a distinctive race, that could have an angel come and announce a distinctive birth to her. One of the major thrusts of the Old Testament is God's Old Testament people have got to be distinctive. Very important idea. And that's why we have the food laws. You know why? Because these food laws made it hard to eat with unbelievers. Because almost everything an unbeliever served you was what? Unclean. Mary and I had a little feel of this. We had a friend of mine that has often guided us in trips to the Holy Land... And the time that I've gone, came and ate at our home. And man, Mary had to check through every single thing that we were going to have. And we almost blew it and combined like hamburger and ice cream, which wasn't going to work. And you have to learn what is kosher. And that, by the way, you don't mix hamburger and ice cream because you're not supposed to mix, boil a kid in its mother's milk. That's where all of that kosher food kind of thing came from. And what you combine and what you don't. And what I want you to realize is there were some barriers that were created there. It wasn't like an easy thing. Because in the Old Testament, and David was still following a lot of the Old Testament laws, in the Old Testament, God wanted his people to be different. The Jewish food laws have been effective in preserving the identity of God's chosen people. But now that Jesus has come and the new covenant has been established, Should we continue to believe that some foods are unclean? Christian history records heated battles over just this type of question, 
and it is important for us to take a careful look at what can become powerful cultural barriers that keep us from reaching people with the liberating freedom of Christ. Join us next time for the conclusion of Bon Appetit.